It really is an amazing experience to go from a place of poor health or struggle, let's say, to where I landed. And it, it was a very empowering experience. <laughs> yep, yeah, it really does feel like an awakening. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Kirksville, Missouri, Parkersburg, West Virginia, Tampare, Finland. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 49 of season 5, number 348 overall. Today is all about a five-star success. Leanna Levine Reisner healed herself in not one, not two, or even three or four ways, but five ways she reclaimed her health. And I will tell you what those ways are, but she is here to share what she so fittingly calls her empowering experience with us. So what are her fantastic five? Well... All she did was lost 20% of her body weight, balanced out a significant hormonal imbalance, she found relief from wicked allergies, she cleared up eczema, and most triumphantly, she reversed endometriosis that had been tormenting her for years. We are talking about an absolutely fantastic transformation. And I think that what makes Leanna's story so relatable is that it traces all the way back to a very young age. That is when things started to go awry for her. And then over the years, like so many of us, the problems just kept getting worse and worse and worse. The standard narrative, right? But the interesting thing, though, with Leanna, though, is that compared to the standard American diet, when she was growing up, she was a self-described semi-vegetarian, which means she was probably doing better than most. But you will hear her talk about what would happen when she would open up her diet a little bit, especially when she would eat more dairy. And the results there were not pretty. But what is pretty is this glorious picture of her journey back to health. And she is here now to paint that picture for us. Because through all of her downs and her ups, she survived, she learned, she studied, she transformed, and now she is helping others do the same as the founder of a phenomenal organization called Plant Powered Metro New York. So Leanna's transformation, coming to a community near you in New York, but hopefully, being here on the show today will also inspire others well beyond the five boroughs and now out in the world. Leanna, thank you so very much for being here and congratulations. Thank you. It really is an amazing experience to go from a place of poor health or struggle, let's say, to where I landed and it, it was a very empowering experience. I know, just rattling off those five things. And it just seems like that's an awful lot of change for good. Do you still feel like even though you're years now into your journey that you still kind of like I do, you wake up every morning, you pinch yourself like, is this really my new healthy life? 
Absolutely. I love it though. It's so tasty and, and gratifying. <laughs> it is, it is the best. Um, so let's, let's dive into your story here. Let's talk some good. Um, I want to start with what, what were some of the issues that you were noticing? What were you experiencing? I mean, we just heard about all the transformations, but when did you first realize that, Hey, you know, something might be amiss here? Yeah, it really started when I was young. Um, as many women and girls are experiencing today, uh, starting with when we get our periods is the big like hot button topic. Uh, people are talking about girls getting periods before the age of 10 now. I got mine at the age of 11 and was among the first in my class to go through that, um, which wasn't a big deal at the beginning. Yes, socially it causes some challenges, but over time I started having you know painful periods um, and I associated that with a specific um, I went on a trip with my grandparents and had a lot of very rich foods, more so than I even had at home. Um, and when I came back, I remember 10th grade sitting in biology class and having, I had to leave school because my periods were so painful and heavy and I would get clotting and um, just, you know, feeling like something's really off, but this was my personal experience of fertility. And uh, a lot of my friends were like, well, we don't experience that. And I thought, oh, I'm just unlucky here. But turns out there was a lot more to that story. Um, but my experience of periods, it was a combination of the clotting and the pain and the heavy periods that would last a full seven or eight days, which could be normal, but it really didn't feel normal for me. Um, and also diarrhea that went along with it because of all of the trauma that was happening within my uterus. Um, and that just sort of snowballed over time and I would leave school periodically in high school and learned how to befriend painkillers, which was a sad thing to like have to learn how to swallow Tylenol as a as a youngster and then, you know, moving on to more um, significant painkillers and knowing what my threshold was with each of them. And I think it's just a sad thing that girls today and, and young women in general are um, dependent on these tools and are not necessarily uh, educated, let's say, about the different lifestyle modifications that we can make to help us. So ultimately, they did put me on a birth control pill when I was, I think I was 15 at the time, in order to regulate my hormones, which was supposed to help uh, help me manage the pain, help me deal with the situation. Um, and it did help here and there. But when I was in my 20s, um, not long after my first, um, my first pregnancy, um, I uh, was having some weird issues with insomnia and spotting and some recurring yeast infections. And after a few months of trying to figure out what was going on, uh, determined that I had an ovarian cyst. And that this was uh, diagnosed as an endometrioma, which is related to endometriosis, the condition that I was later then diagnosed having. Um, and the, the, the cyst was on my left ovary, which was actually the site where I would typically have a lot of pain when I was having my periods. Um, and what was fascinating to me was after the operation where they removed the cyst, I had a cystectomy, they said to me, you know, we found endometrial implants, which is the stuff of um, endometriosis that, that causes the most harm, let's say. Um, we found them not only on your ovaries, but also on your intestines, which would speak to some of the GI issues that I was having when I had my periods. So having this diagnosis was an important thing, let's say, in, in saying what the problem was, but it didn't solve the problem ultimately at that moment. Uh, this was about 
uh, well, more than 10 years ago at this point. So over time, um, I still managed the, the endometriosis with the pill um, and then went looking for other solutions, initially not even for endometriosis, but for uh, some of my skin concerns and allergies and found myself in the world of plant-based nutrition. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, you mentioned that your friends didn't experience any of those symptoms. I think though, naturally, there's probably a few who are hearing this right now and saying, well, did any of this run in Leanna's family? So was there any sort of genetic history of this? Yes. My mom told me she had similar issues when she was young. Um, we have very similar, um, you know, menstrual histories, let's, let's say, uh, for better or for worse. Sorry, mom. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it's, and, and unfortunately, because it ran in the family, um, that was part of the narrative that, well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, you have the bad genes, um, but here's what we have to do. Let's see what the doctors have to say. And the doctor's they do what they know what to do. And that's that has to do with, with pharma mostly. Um, so yes, it did run in my family. And you mentioned when you were with your grandparents on one particular trip, eating a lot of rich food, but typically what was your diet like at that point in your life? Yeah, growing up, I mean, I was what you might call a semi-vegetarian. Uh, we kept kosher in the home. We still keep kosher in the home. And I grew up in a small town where we didn't have easy access to a lot of meat. So we would um, sort of stockpile it and use it slowly um, so that, but we had a lot of vegetables, a lot of plants in the diet, um, definitely had a lot of whole foods in the diet, uh, but that wasn't enough to help out at the outset. Um, when I went on this trip, I was having a lot of meat and dairy more so than I ever had. I think we had ice cream like many days of this five week trip that I took overseas. And, um, and I, given my experience and then changing how I ate, dairy was really the first uh, thing that I took out that made the biggest difference in my estimation. Um, and so it would make sense to me that having this serious <laughs> um, recurring experience with ice cream um, would have triggered some um, significant issues with my disease. Aside from your menstrual issues, were you finding yourself maybe like you were feeling immunocompromised? You were always getting sick, whether it be with, you know, the sniffles, a cold, a fever, like that just wouldn't quit? Yeah, as a kid, I definitely was sick in, you know, often enough that I remember being sick and out of school for extended periods of time. I remember returning from trips to Florida and, and we live in the Northeast and then, you know, having um, uh, pneumonia on a few different occasions in elementary school. But as I got older, I, I think a cold for me was always, you know, feeling the, the feeling in your throat and then within a day or two having it moved down into the lungs and that bronchitis, that feeling of the swelling of the tubes. Um, that was for me what getting sick meant. It meant having this inflammation. So it was really incredible to me because as I changed my diet, not only did the endometriosis improve and, and ultimately the symptoms went away, but I also, whenever I get sick now, which is not as frequently as before, um, I do feel that you know the, the cold stays up here, it stays in the head and it never moves down into, into my lungs. And that, that's a game changer too, because it, I got taken out of school quite a bit. I remember actually a senior in, as a senior in high school being out for two weeks straight 
uh, in the springtime. And just, you know, it was a big drag, big, big drag on my parents too. Oh yeah. I remember being school age and I mean, I would, it was like clockwork. It was like one month it would be sinus infection. The next month it would be strep throat. The next month sinus infection, then bronchitis, then back to strep throat. And it just, it was just like clockwork every four, five, six weeks, something else would flare up, but it was always the same type of illness. And, and I could just tell, like, I knew I was like, okay, I feel like this today. I know what I'm going to feel like tomorrow and the next day. And I know exactly where this is heading. And it sounds like you had that down to a T as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of frustrating. Um, 2016, correct me if I'm wrong. That's when something kind of really struck with you or st struck you. I had, uh, I pulled a, a clip, um, something that you had written that I came across on the internet and said in 2016, I spent four weeks fighting what I felt were like three or four consecutive viruses, just like what we were talking about. Right. When I spiked a fever in my final round of sickness, I knew my immune health was compromised. And at the time, I hadn't realized how very unwell I had been. Is that because being sick had become such a normal thing for you? By that point, yes. I mean, that was a particularly noteworthy illness for me. I don't remember having going from one thing to the next just like that. Um, but I, it was a, a bit of a wake up. I was a bit overweight from my second pregnancy at that time. Couldn't shake the weight off. I did some exercising. Um, I tried to, you know, I was sleeping pretty well at that point, but I just couldn't get rid of those extra 35 pounds. And I then had this... Um, this series of colds. And it made me stop and say, gosh, this is weird. I've got to do something. And my husband and I, who, you know, at the time we were in our early thirties and thinking we both want to fight off whatever is around the bend for us. And that was a piece of my interest in moving forward and trying to find solutions that could work for us. But I had never in my wildest dreams, any idea that, that helping my endometriosis symptoms would be a piece of my healing. No doubt. And I would think that being a mom with young kids around, you don't have any time to be fighting off an illness, let alone three or four back to back to back to back. I mean, I can just imagine how frustrating that might have been for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime you're down for the count, it's like uh, you're leaning too heavily on, on my husband and also, you know, no fun for the kids. And it's funny also living in New York City and, and being exposed to viruses right and left through our children and just through general life. And this was pre-pandemic, of course, where, yes, we didn't wear masks and we got a lot of colds. Um, it, it was a bit of a shocker to the system. And you could say, well, oh, I built up immunity over time from living in this kind of environment. That's, that's not what happened here. This was really different because I felt how um, differently I experienced colds. Even today, like uh, I know there's more to say about what I did to change the, my health, but when I start to get sick, I go to my smoothies, I get my greens in, and I know like immediately that how it just feels like I'm nourishing myself on the cellular level. Um, I feel how it works um, immediately, and you could say, "Oh, that's a bunch, bunch of um, hogwash, whatever," but it really, it really does feel different to nurse a cold differently um, when you know that food can be a piece of your medicine. It, it really does. And I think that, you know, it, it takes somebody who's been through that transformation um, and come out the other side to truly understand what it is that you're talking about. Now, I, I understand like why, why you just use the term like hogwash or foo or whatever it was, um, why somebody might be a little bit skeptical of it. But uh, to that person, I always say, 
don't knock it until you try it. Um, I want to, again, go back to when it was you you just kept getting sick again and again and again and again, just like chronically ill all of the time. Um, and you said you were struggling with your weight. You were about 35 pounds overweight. You couldn't shake that. What was all of that doing to your self-esteem? I would imagine for an average person, like you can feel pretty, pretty rotten about the entire situation. Yeah, I think it was really mostly the weight that was a downer. Um, I And I also knew that it was easy for me to tip over into the overweight scale. Um, but especially postpartum and like just dealing with, um, I had very large pregnancies. I'm five foot two and I gained more than 50 pounds in each of my first two pregnancies. So it was a big deal for me to have extra weight on me and then to see it like not fall away easily after I gave birth. That was a big struggle. Um, it never like weighed me down in a terribly deep emotional way, but it was something that I carried with me. And I always, um, you know, I think all of us women, we look in the closet and we say, oh, guess I can't wear that this year, but I'll keep it anyway <laughs> with high hopes. Um, it was a piece of it. Well, that's, that, that's good. I think a lot of people, you know, they find comfort in uh, the very foods that have put them in that uncomfortable position in the first place. I know that's certainly a, a large part of my story. You know, emotional eating um, doesn't necessarily sound like that. That is the case for you. Nonetheless, uh, losing weight still uh, can be one of the most difficult things in the world for a lot of people. And and I think that you still have a ton of wisdom to share with people um, who, who are struggling. So we're going to get to that part of the story here. Um, in just a little bit. Um, but at this point, so you say you were, you were primarily vegetarian, how close to the standard American diet were you, were you kind of like toad, like right on that line or were you, you know, just, you were eating healthier than average, but still miles to go. Definitely healthier than average. We, my husband and I had gotten into like CSAs and, and having produce, um, as a piece of our you know, kitchen collaboration, let's say from early in our marriage. And um, so we would make vegetable stir fries that were full of things. But, you know, we're typical people. We ate bagels. We ate um, white pastas. We ate plenty of dairy and eggs as a piece of our vegetarian home environment. And I would eat kosher meat going out periodically, um, fish here and there as well. Uh, but really what what turned the tides for me was realizing that the more plants I ate and the less processed foods I ate, um, that's where the magic happened. And it, to me, um, I wouldn't have believed it before because, yes, I got all the messages that we all receive around moderating and trying to, you know, keep your intake of this and that down. I live down the street from a Dunkin' Donuts. I probably had Dunkin' Donuts two or three times a year before, but now I, I look at it and I... It, like reads poison on <laughs> on the on the um, the awning to me because I've changed my lens around food and I don't see food in my culture in this in this New York City you know everything's at street level it's accessible to you kind of culture um, we have to see the world through certain blinders that we put on and isn't it funny though how once you see things differently it's like they can't be unseen. So the way that you were just saying, seeing that messaging or, or that logo and it, it basically reading poison as opposed to what the restaurant's actual name is. I mean, it's so very true. And that's not just limited to, you know, walking down Fifth Avenue or whatever and, and seeing all of these various chain restaurants. I mean, that's, you go into any grocery store in New York and you look at the aisles and 
you know, once you kind of get an, uh, an idea of what's going on there, it's like, wow, this has been happening forever. And this is why X, Y, and Z are happening to me, to my family, to so much, or at least a big contributing part, uh, a part of it. And then when you go to have those conversations with people, that can be awkward yet if they haven't had that that same kind of um i don't want to call it an awakening liana but um that I, was mean, the word I guess I that's what it is right you know <laughs> yep yeah it really does feel like an awakening it, um, it does i mean so when you now are talking to your friends and your family about the the choices that you make with your food and and why they may want to investigate perhaps eating healthier themselves how do those conversations tend to go I'll be honest, they're really hard. And I think that's the case for so many of us, with, especially with family members and close friends and the communities that we've been um, close to and active with for a while. I feel like I live a different life. I see the world differently now. And it's very hard to continue to like walk in the same spaces that I have all along. Um, and, it, and you know, I, I come from a very active Jewish background as well, very active in my synagogue community and in other Jewish communal organizations. And every Jewish life, as so many ethnic cultures are, are, are it's about food. Everything is about food. Uh, but having the conversations about what should be served and what, what would ideally be served, that's where I think we fall into some trouble. And I have moved away from talking directly with people about how I do things and making recommendations to just trying to let my work speak for itself. So I've had the privilege of um, starting and, and co-founding and running an organization here in New York City, Plant Powered Metro New York. And really the goal in creating this organization was to give myself um, a bit more credibility in talking about this way of eating and the health benefits with other people who are um, less aware, but to show them, look, there's a lot of science behind it. And you don't have to be uh, a doctor or a dietitian or in the healthcare profession to uh, to reclaim your health. You can do this uh, with your own kitchen skills and, and just learning some of the ropes, the basics. And I think that's been completely gratifying to me. And it opens a lot more conversations to talk about what I'm doing out there than about what somebody might change over here. So, um, I really appreciate having the community and having the um, the work to show for it because it says a lot about where this movement is going and how um, how we can be ambassadors in the movement as well. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk to you about Plant Powered Metro New York here in just a little bit. Um, but I want to get back to your personal story here. Um, and you are a mother. You have uh, how many kids now? Three. I have three. Mm -hmm. three, three children, but you were diagnosed with endometriosis um, at an early age. Was pregnancy ever a concern for you? Like maybe that's just not in the cards for me? You know, thankfully, no. And it, I think what I'd learned is that one in 10 women has endometriosis and about half have issues with fertility. Uh, whether that changes with, you know, advanced age or, or you know, age of diagnosis, I'm not sure. Um, but I did not have issues with fertility. The one issue, of course, was with an ovarian cyst. Um, the reason it had to be removed was because it could have affected my fertility by addressing, by, you know, ruining the, the ovaries integrity and the fallopian tube attached to it. So um, that was, that was something that we got in front of. And had I allowed the disease to progress further, there could have been other issues for my fertility. But thankfully, um, you know, getting pregnant was not the issue. And I want to talk to you about the hormonal uh, changes that occurred uh, postpartum. 
this was an interesting conversation you and I were talking about just before we began uh, recording. And uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. As a guy, I had never thought about this before. But you noticed that there was an enormous shift in your hormonal balance uh, between your second and third children. I'm assuming, was that around the time that you began to change up your diet? And, and what kind of happened there? Yes. So I changed my diet um, a few months before I got pregnant with my third child. And what I did just to sort of walk you through the steps, I, you know, I first took out dairy along with gluten, which I knew to sort of trigger some GI symptoms for me, and then went more plant-based and more unprocessed. And it was the combination of all of those factors that led to my total health um, liberation, let's say, but the very first step of taking out dairy and gluten seemed to be um, the the initial triggers that allowed my endometriosis to, to calm and ultimately heal. Um, when By the time my daughter was born, my third child, um, I, was, I was in this elimination phase and then reintroducing certain foods. So I did have some dairy and eggs in my diet during my pregnancy, but then I found the field of plant-based nutrition when she was six months, uh, six, six months old, and at that time, it was really interesting because I was still highly plant-based and, and unprocessed. Um, my fertility had not returned six months afterwards. And this was noteworthy for me because with my first two kids, who you know I gained a lot of weight with um, at the outset, uh, my fertility came back four and five months postpartum while I was exclusively breastfeeding. So for anybody who's not aware, for many women who are exclusively breastfeeding and certainly even beyond the exclusive period when you're also feeding your kids food, um, like uh, you know plant foods, let's say, um, that's usually when um, you don't have your periods come back. Your fertility sort of stays at bay because you're nursing a child and you shouldn't have more children necessarily um, when you're giving all of your, your nourishment and your energy to a little one. Now, this is not universally true, but in my, in my experience, those first two kids, fertility returned four and five months postpartum, that was not so fun because you have to deal with that alongside dealing with, with uh, the young children. With my third child, by the time I was like fully in it, plant-based uh, and very whole food oriented, uh, it took 22 months for my fertility to return. And that was night and day different. Um, and I could tell, you know, for me, that just sort of was another illustration of how my hormones were completely different from before. Uh, the idea that I could reduce my estrogen exposure, which is what we know to be uh, correlated with, um, you know, when, when you have your period, there's going to be more estrogen circulating in your body. And uh, as I learned more and got deeper into the science, I really appreciated how refraining from having dairy and meat products in my diet was keeping those hormones down and definitely having more fiber in the diet was also allowing me to sort of excrete the excess hormones in my body as well. So it, it, it gave me a way of explaining a little bit about what I was experiencing on this anecdotal level um, with the science behind it. So I hope that made sense, Chuck. What do you think? It it, it does. And what strikes me is we live in a society where the instant gratification is the name of the game. And in, in this case, it would be the rapid return of fertility. Um, typically, the sooner the better. But in this case, even though neither one of us are doctors, if I'm um, interpreting you correctly, um, the 22-month wait for the return of fertility was really the better of the two options, the healthier of the two, correct? Definitely. And to clarify, I was breastfeeding that whole time. I, I nursed my third child for 
oh my gosh, three and a half years. <laughs> so, you know, to go two years into it and, and to um, only then have the fertility return, it was really, really noteworthy. You know, so I come from a large, on my mother's side, a very large Irish family. Uh, so my mom is somewhere in the middle of 11 children. And so lots of sets of what are known as Irish twins. You know, grandmama had a lot of work to do and not, you know, her entire life to do it. So uh, the work just got done as, as quickly as possible. Um, I'm thinking that if grandmama was plant-based, that probably could not have happened. I would not have 30 some odd first cousins. It just timing just would not have worked out whatsoever. I do know what was set uh, on the old Hagen family breakfast table back in the day. And it was very far from being anything that would, could be considered healthy, let alone plant-based. That's right. Yeah. And you know, every woman's different. So this might not be a universal thing, as I mentioned. Uh, and there may be other explanations too that that the doctors in our community can can point to for such a thing. But yeah, it is it is possible that that there would be more space between more children if um, you know if we had more plant based eaters in the world. You know, I, a lot of women uh, after they they give birth, I mean, it, the, you just hear about these just heart wrenching struggles to shed that that baby weight, those excess pounds. You were talking a little bit about that earlier. Um, in our conversation, once you adopted that, that plant-based diet, that really healthy plant-based diet, did you see those, those unwanted pounds start to fade away pretty rapidly? Yeah, that was, I mean, within three months I had lost all the weight that I gained and perhaps even more too, because I wasn't quite at my healthy weight when I got pregnant with the second one. So, um, probably similar to your story, Chuck, just like the steady, decline in weight um, and it felt good. And everybody was like, Leanna, are, are you okay? <laughs> You're not sick, are you? I'm like, no, no, the opposite of sick. I'm great, I feel great. Uh, so it was, it was again, a remarkable testament to the power of this idea of, you know, reduce your calorie density um, and, and increase your nutrient density in your foods. It just sort of happens. And I know some people do continue to struggle with weight even with those changes. But for me, it was thankfully a pretty rapid process. Yeah, and I know that weight and self-esteem, they weren't really, well, at least the self-esteem part wasn't really your issue when it came to weight. Nonetheless, though, to see those pounds melt away, you must have felt good. great. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. No question about it. Um, I also, before we talk about Plant Power Metro New York, I want to ask you uh, about your allergies. You kind of talked about them. Uh, how quickly after you started eating the plant-based diet did you notice that began to improve as well? Yeah, I actually, it took until I went full on into a whole food plant-based diet where I took oils out of my diet, um, where I found a really decreased uh, issues with allergies. I had a lot of indoor allergies. So I'd wake up in the morning in my bed and I'd fill with mucus and I'd be sneezing. Um, I don't have issues like outdoors during seasonal times when there's pollen in the air, but all that indoor stuff and the cat allergies, it was really annoying, frankly, more than debilitating. It was just annoying. Um, so when I changed and, and cleaned out the diet, I saw that my allergic reactions were a lot uh, lower. And then I also went further and I saw that there were specific foods that would trigger more mucus in my system. So I have found that it's beneficial for me to eat a higher raw diet, to have more greens and more vegetables in my diet. Um, and I do have 
more fruit, although I probably shouldn't have as much fruit as I eat because uh, it's just too good. Um, but I, I notice like if I have raw nuts, for example, they'll trigger my allergies. So I've got to like tamp down on that or I soak my nuts or I have them like pureed into sauces instead of having them raw um, uncooked or not uh, unprepared, let's say. Um, so just, but what this allowed me to do was notice where the inflammation and, um, and immune issues were, uh, reduce what I could and then find those extra tweaks to my healthy plant-based diet to get farther down the path. So is it perfect? No. And am I a, a perfect plant-based eater now? No, I, I like nuts just like the rest of us, but, um, you know, I'll go for seeds instead of nuts most of the time when I want to have a, a, a quick high, high calorie snack or something like that. Um, but it's just been interesting to sort of figure out all of these little ins and outs of um, how my body responds. I, I think that's like the biggest thing for me is being now in, in relationship with, in conversation with my body, knowing what, what it's telling me at any given time when I'm eating one thing or another, um, that's just a lot of great power to be able to have that body knowledge and awareness. And what about eczema? That was also a struggle for you. Um, I mean, were, were you having like embarrassing splotches, you know, on your arms, on your legs, maybe even on your neck or your face or anything like that? Yeah. And actually it took a little bit more of the tweaking of plant-based nutrition itself for me to get past the, sin, the skin issues. I found that grains were very inflammatory for me, even, um, even whole grains. So again, going toward that more high raw way of eating. Um, if I have fewer grains in the diet, usually the, the better it is for me to maintain my skin health uh, better. But I, I'm, you know, I'm feeding kids and the kids need a high calorie um, grains and other things in the diet. So I'm around it. I'm not perfect, uh, but I'm doing my best. And I, and I know what I need to do to get it under control. So what does your diet look like today? Walk me through your menu for yesterday. What was on, what was on your plate? Well, uh, we made, we made a smoothie uh, as we usually do. We like to fill up the blender for everybody. It's got mostly either spinach or romaine. Uh, if we have kale in the house, we'll use that. Uh, we put our omega-3 seeds in it. So we've got either chia or flax or hemp seeds um, and sometimes a combination of two or three of those. And then we add the fruit on top. So usually a banana or two and then some frozen fruit from the freezer. And it's always quite tasty. And I love that it helps my kids also get in their greens and their seeds because it's not easy for the kids to enjoy that so much. So this was this is one strategy that's good for all of us. Um, <laughs> In terms of like like lunch, I mean, we, we do a lot with with vegetables, like I said, and I love my instant pot. So we'll throw in whatever vegetables are in the fridge. We'll we'll put them in the pot and set it for a few minutes, and then it's done. Um, I like to do this with like beets and lentils and other vegetables. Um, I'll make a lentil stew, or um, we have more of like a ratatouille style flavor profile with eggplants and tomatoes. Um, and other, again, other vegetables. Um, so that, that's usually like a go-to, but I, I also like, I build big salads and I love, you know, having the, the huge salad bowl, lots of greens. I put a big scoop of, of some kind of bean on top um, and other veggies that I cut up and then sprinkle of tahini dressing on top to sort of uh, round it out. And my tahini dressing has like garlic and lemon juice and a lot of flavor in it. So I don't use salt. Um, I actually really hate salt when I eat it. I get offended <laughs> when people give me food with salt in it because it feels like um, it's like adulterating the, the beauty of the plant foods within. Um, but I tolerate it because I live in the world. So 
Uh, but we have a lot of fun with with food over here. <laughs> I tolerate it because I live in the world. Oh, what a phrase that is, but it is so true. Oh my goodness. Um, that That is fantastic. I'm curious, um, have you talked to any of your doctors throughout this transition of yours? I mean, obviously we're talking about some pretty significant changes here. Have they been like, well, what have, what have you been doing differently? You know, I talked initially with my OBGYN about the changes with endometriosis. Um, she asked me if I wanted to sort of, you know, refill the prescription for the pill. And I was like, no, please, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I don't think I need it now. Maybe I will in a few years. We'll see that like that time will tell, but I, I really feel like everything I'm doing is, um, it, my body's validating me, right? I keep saying I'm in conversation with, with this. Um, and so when I've spoken with the doctors, a lot of the folks who are out there, they're like, okay, it's great that you're doing that, but there's no evidence to back this up. And so I've had to be, um, and I think all of us who've gone through this transition and this, um, this like significant change, we can educate our doctors or we can just sort of live with them. And um, so far I've just sort of lived with, <laughs> lived with it. Um, but, you know, getting all the basic lab work done, it's been so good to see cholesterol is great and all the usual things, um, vitamin profiles and things like that. So to me, like, I don't need the validation of the doctors um, who are not on board yet with this lifestyle. And I do say yet because I think it's coming. Um, but I do feel that with every one of us who's gone through, down this path and has a story to tell that ultimately these stories are going to start turning more heads in the medical profession. And look, your, your story is already turning heads. I mean, clearly people are paying attention and you feel so good. You look so good. You want to share it with the world. And I would imagine uh, that's a big part of why you start uh, Plant Powered Metro New York. So what do you have cooking up there? Oh, all sorts of things. Um, Plant Powered Metro New York is really a collaboration of many grassroots uh, volunteers and leaders across the metro area. We work in New York City and also in the surrounding counties in Long Island and Westchester County and parts of New Jersey. And the idea, you know, it's a three-year-old organization, but we are trying to equip all of our grassroots change agents with the tools and the sensibilities to be able to go out into our communities, speak about plant-based nutrition, and to be a bridge from to the people really, you know, we have all this great evidence, everything that PCRM and the exam room is offering, uh, all that content is so rich and we have to find more mechanisms to bring it down to where people are in their day-to-day -day lives. So that's really what we're trying to work on. And we're doing that through all sorts of programming, informal and formal. Uh, we've, we're using the awesome curriculum that Food for Life has created and um, bringing that into different organizational settings with older adult populations and with Spanish speakers. Um, and we're doing our own 21-day Jumpstart programs, sort of modeled off of the 21-day Kickstart that PCRM also does, and having large groups of people come together and make significant dietary change together. And what's been really amazing is not just seeing you know, how community members are able to initiate and sustain this change for themselves, but also then how they want to um, pass on the wealth and, and pass on this message. So many people who go through this process are now becoming part of our volunteer network and it becomes this virtuous cycle, I think I had heard is the word, um, of, of an opportunity for people to pay it back. Um, and, and what I also love is that we are working very closely with our local uh, plant-based clinicians, both doctors, um, nurses, physician assistants, 
uh, and, and dietitians and other people in healthcare. And we've got wonderful uh, relationships with SUNY Downstate Health Sciences University, um, with our friends at the New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, who are now working on nutrition and lifestyle medicine initiatives, um, and, and a few other healthcare organizations locally as well. Um, and some of it is like employee wellness and others are on the, the sort of community side, community and patient wellness as well. Well, you've got your hands full over there. I'm looking at your event calendar. I'm all jazzed up because I see that uh, you all will be at the farmer's market at Union Square, um, which is, I mean, that that's so cool. I used to work down in that area way back in the day. Um, and and that's, that's so cool. So here's the deal. Uh, if you would like to learn more, uh, go to plantpoweredmetrony.org. That's plantpoweredmetrony.org. We're going to put a link to that in the show description or in the episode notes for you to click as well. And uh, Leanna, if there's one thing I know, it is, well, actually two things. One, uh, we have a ton of exam roomies who live up in New York. And two, uh, they have a ravenous appetite for all things health. So I'm hoping that uh, a lot of the roomies will will look you up and, and get involved and get connected and, and make a, an even more powerful plant-powered Metro New York. That's, that's all fantastic. So congratulations on all of your success. I'm so happy that you have your health back and, and you're just thriving and now helping others thrive along the way as well. Thank you so much, Chuck. It's been great to be here. Definitely, Leanna is helping out New York, but I feel that her story will be reaching thousands of people around the world now. You know, we actually have exam roomies listening in more than 150 countries, which is absolutely incredible. We're all coming together to raise our health IQs as we work to make the world a healthier place. So cool, that sense of community. And I do want to thank each and every one of you roomies who, who you take these messages to heart and you carry these messages of hope and inspiration and what you've learned with this nutrition and you've taken it out into your community. And that is how we succeed in our goal of making the world a healthier place. You all are amazing. And Leanna is carrying her amazing story now to the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. She will be sharing it on stage with Dr. Neil Barnard in Washington, D.C. And that conference is coming up August 18th through the 20th. Cool thing is, I will also be there all three days and recording episodes of the show. So it would be awesome to see you there with us as well. We're going to have some great names stopping by. Dr. Kim Williams, Dr. Alan Desmond, Cyrus Kambata, and Robbie Barbero from Mastering Diabetes, our good friend Dr. Jim Loomis, and of course the queen of research, our queen of research, Dr. Hanna Kaliova, and so many others. And we would love to see you there as well. But hurry because seating is limited, so save your spot today pcrm.org slash icnm that is the website to visit to reserve your seat pcrm.org slash icnm but act now because there are only a few seats left available and there is a link for you to reserve your space today right now and raise your health iq that link is in the episode notes and i also wanted to share something else really cool with you today there is a new way that your support 
your pledge for health, as it were, can go twice as far, touch twice as many lives, and do twice the amount of good. Here's the scoop. We have right now a big fundraising challenge that is happening for you and all of the exam roomies to jump in on. Until July 10th, all donations to support the Physicians Committee's work will be doubled. And that work includes producing the exam room. Now, your support will also go toward our team's groundbreaking clinical research, our efforts to make the next set of dietary guidelines as healthy as they could possibly be. You know, we are working so hard to get dairy out of there, meat and dairy, and enlighten the masses that you don't need meat to have protein in your diet. And if you already know that, you are in the minority because there are still doctors, the majority of people out there, including doctors, still don't know that plants have protein too. Healthier protein at that. So your support will also help us educate physicians and the next generation of medical students and healthcare professionals. I mean, the bottom line here is that the important work that we are doing at the Physicians Committee is helping to heal people all over the world. All sounds great, right? Absolutely it does. And your dollars are being doubled through July 10th thanks to the incredible generosity of one very special Physicians Committee member. And this gentleman lost his father to a preventable disease. So for him, this is personal. He sees the life-saving value of making sure that this does not happen to anyone else. I mean, think about this. We've heard estimates on the show. Experts say as many as 9 out of 10 of these chronic diseases could have been prevented. And what that means is it's not just 9 out of 10 diseases being prevented. What it means is that millions of families are losing members far too soon. Imagine more Mother's Days altogether and Father's Days, vacations, holidays, the entire family still gathering around the table. So I am thrilled to announce that when you make a donation to the Physicians Committee of $10, that $10 automatically then gets turned into $20. And if you're able to give $50, well, that $50 becomes $100, $1,000 becomes $2,000, and so on. Literally every single donation will be doubled until we reach our goal of $250,000. So please give what you can and consider making a donation to help us take advantage of this incredible generosity. Pledge your support right now to make the world a healthier place at pcrm.org match. That's pcrm.org match. Or if you would rather give us your donation over the phone, you can absolutely do that as well. Just call 202 202- 527-7304. That's 202-527-7304 to have your donation doubled today. And that number once again and a link to donate can be found right now in the episode notes. And I would like to thank you in advance again for helping to make the world a healthier place. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Leanna Levine Reisner for sharing her incredibly empowering experience with us. 
and for everyone here at the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.